rankings based on preseason action, you're doing it wrong. Teams are honest with us, finally, through who plays and actually who doesn't and in what situations. Now, Hayden, I think there is like a real temptation to overreact. And I think some of that has already happened with all of you and your drafts. You've probably seen it. But today we're going to thread the needle. 10 urgent, some might even say occasionally drastic, Fancy football rankings changes after preseason week one. We're 17 games in. Hayden, how do you feel? I think this might be one of the most important podcasts we do all year. Like we have some of the action. We see how some of these players are going to be utilized. Like you said, some people are going to overreact, but we're going to combine the actual usage and the depth chart rankings with some film breakdown. I think both are are important. Really, it comes down to the depth chart stuff, but we watch the film. We're going to go through some of the player takes. We're going to see if it matches up with our prospect profiles and all the videos that we did on those. And we're going to try to break this thing down. I have updated my rankings. We're going to get the free rankings back updated uh, later this week. We'll we'll get through everything. Yeah. If you tuned in last year to our stats versus film show, think of this as as really one of those. And as Hayden said, I really think that this might be truly one of the most important shows that we do all year long because it's almost the bridge of all the training camp reports that we got. And then really this area of the draft season, this hot, hot best ball summer where things are really in, in chaos and, and finding out what the truth is right there in the middle. Just to throw a few names at you, the biggest ADP movers over the last week, Isaiah Pacheco up 36 spots, George Pickens up 21 spots, Romeo Dobbs 15 Zay Jones, 14, Brian Robinson, 13. We're going to hit on those and the fallers and many more names as we go along. And most importantly, the foundation for this show is the column, which we will link down below to the top fantasy football nuggets, again, from preseason week one action. It both combines, as Hayden did, he was in the lab, usage, snap counts, production, as well as the scenario that it all happened. It's context. I think this will be the best preseason week one recap show on the internet. That's my goal. Let's Let's do it. it. Let's start off with DeAndre Swift, who was going around the 11th or 12th selection, now down to about the 15th overall pick. What we have seen from DeAndre Swift and what we saw this preseason was it was almost a 60-40 split with Jamal Williams. Is that good enough for DeAndre Swift to make good on his early round two value that people are drafting him at right now? So Swift was the starters and the Lions played their starters. He played six of the 10 first drive snaps and they dominated. The Lions offense looked good. Their offensive line in particular was moving people off the ball. But Jamal Williams did sub in. It was kind of random. At the end, DeAndre Swift scored from a couple yards out. I couldn't learn a whole lot, but it was notable that Jamal Williams was playing with the first team. DeAndre Swift is not going to be a bell cow back at least to start the season. That's my guess right now. So I think DeAndre Swift, you can make a case that he should still be a second round pick, but if he's his ADP starts climbing from here on, I think we have to tap the brakes. And at the same exact times, the hard knocks love with Jamal Williams is already starting to pick up. He had a great speech to start off the campaign veteran back. The coaching staff loves him. Jamal Williams to me has maybe in like a 14 team league, he might be able to get into a flex spot because I do think he's going to have a role with the first team offense, but I still think Jamal Williams has a contingent value. And I think that he should be one of the players you're targeting like around 13, 14, 15. I think that's a sweet spot. You and I have had DeAndre Swift below ADP for this entire summer. And I think part of my reservation was just where the big plays came from last season. He had 24 missed tackles as a receiver. We know he was fantastic 
in the passing game. And so much of that last year was based on how many points down in the third and fourth quarter the Lions were. I mean, he had a 16-yard touchdown down 34 to 3 against the Bengals, a 57-yard touchdown down 13 to nothing to the Browns, a 43-yard touchdown down 38 to 10 to the 49ers. As a receiver and checkdowns from Jared Goff, he was fantastic. Now, the Lions don't want to be in a scenario where Jared Goff is checking the football down in the third and fourth quarter. They want to be neutral or up on the scoreboard. And always as a runner, I had a little hesitation with DeAndre Swift because, again, 24 Smith tackles as a receiver, just 17 really between the tackles on 151 carries. And if you look at seven of those, seven of those 17 were against the Pittsburgh Steelers alone, by far his best game as a true running back. And so we know that receiving prowess is so important for running backs in the top two, top three rounds. I just don't know if I can get over him, whereas James Conner is going about eight spots later. And I love James Conner just more in overall fantasy rankings. This 60-40 split, if it keeps up in preseason week two, week three, kind of aligns with both of, both of our expectations. Okay. Down with the Lions. Next up. We have, let me pull it up, Jacksonville Jaguars. So Travis Etienne was hovering around that third round territory. We know that James Robinson coming back from his Achilles injury sat out this contest. And what we saw, Hayden, was a full first team workload for Travis Etienne, which is music to everyone's ears that is hoping for a gigantic second season from him. So James Robinson is now participating in team drills, but there's still no timeline for his return. He did not suit up. Travis Etienne plays 22 of the 25 first team snaps. That's positive news. I think in general, Travis Etienne's usage was positive. Snoop Connor came in, was the backup. Snoop Connor, I thought, was productive. He was hitting the holes, falling forward, all the things I thought Snoop Connor was able to do, kind of like James Robinson. The thing that I wanted to bring up, and there was one clip that I posted and kind of got everyone tilted onto onto Twitter is this one carry with Travis Etienne. I'll pull it up right here. And it's something I wanted to point, point out just Travis Etienne loves to hit the home run. And this is a wide open lane in the NFL. We had the linebacker watch number 44 go the wrong way. This is a wide open hole right here. And Travis Etienne busted back out spin moves is able to break a couple tackles, but then, just misses the open lane. And this yep. is something that goes back to his college profile. And it's the exact same, it's the opposite version of what James Robinson's able to do. So just, just throwing this out there, something to keep your eye on. He's a go, he's a home run hitter. And I think maybe this could impact his ability to be on the field in some situations. I think that Travis Etienne is more of a fourth round pick and he's currently going in the third round in fancy drafts. This is what always has made me nervous about Travis Etienne is it's right there, hit the hole. And I'm surely, surely Doug Peterson after the game focused on this. I think Trevor Lawrence even called it out as well. He's got to hit this. Um, Now it's so easy to pause a clip and say, Hey man, you have to improve here. He also dropped, I believe a second and five or third and goal scenario on a flat. And I know people out there, despite his receiving prowess have always maybe questioned the finer details of his receiving chops, something that Matt Waldman has done in his past. That's also to the point that we've heard from John Shipley throughout the entire offseason where it's not just pass pro, it's also the receiving game where James Robinson could be making such a massive mark. And it's not that 
James Robinson might be as good as he used to be as an individual talent. It's just taking opportunities away. And so if Travis Etienne, while 22 of 25 snaps with starters was fantastic, and I was actually really positive, and we'll get to a couple more of these names with the Jaguars, that's what we want to hear. Every little detail where he doesn't check every single box, I think that that is where the coaching staff can kind of look back and say, okay, we trust J-Rob here a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Now is the time for Travis Etienne to earn that 60% workload, and I don't know if it's getting there yet. Yeah, I, I'm not buying in the third round. It's as simple as that. Okay, can we talk about, I thought Trevor Lawrence was great in terms of how quickly and really how much he whips it, just getting on his back foot. He's always going to be hyper-aggressive, always. And I think if, it's funny, we just talked about DeAndre Swift. Maybe the upside case for Travis Etienne this year was DeAndre Swift last year in that a team that might be bad and the guy can catch a lot of passes in those late game scenarios. But I think a major difference between Jared Goff last year, who was attached to Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence this year attached to Travis Etienne, sorry, is that he's always going to be aggressive down the field. He's always going to try to be throwing it vertically. And I actually thought that Zay Jones, who is now around 16, around 17 pick, the camaraderie, the the dynamic that those two shared was really intriguing to me. And, and that's why Zay Jones has already climbed up about a round and a half so far in the last week. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of Zay Jones in these drafts. He got paid a lot of money, better in best ball profile. And that's where Trevor Lawrence wants to throw it. Trevor Lawrence still misses like a couple more passes than he should. Oh, yeah. You know, like to me, like I'm wondering if his biggest weakness is the accuracy. I think he's making good decisions. And I think the coaching staff's way better. I wish he was a little bit more accurate, but that's very nitpicking. Get Christian Kirk, get Evan Ingram, get Zay Jones stacks with, with Trevor Lawrence. Zay Jones, wide receiver 82, and the people out there who have been watching the channel for this entire time know that my highest drafted quarterback in terms of exposure has been Trevor Lawrence all season long, and I'm not stopping that. I moved Zay Jones ahead of Marvin Jones, enough of the Marvin Jones stuff. His last year's teeth was so bad. The preseason didn't look good this last week. It's, it's Zay Jones times. You can tell that we're kind of going in ADP order. Again, DeAndre Swift is going as running back nine. And Travis Etienne right now is going as running back 16, 35, 36 overall. Uh, we said if you're accustomed to the channel, you've checked out everything. If you're new to the channel, you've probably made it this far. Subscribe. There's so many great clips. We have tons of actionable preseason content coming your way, including the show and so, so much more. Uh, we want to be a part of not just your fantasy drafts this month, early September, but also for the rest of the season. So smash subscribe while you are here. Here we go. The Chiefs had so many questions after trading away Tyreek Hill. And Hayden, I think we got a few answers from this. And let's start off with, I think, the passing game. Um, as we said, no Tyreek Hill. They bring in Juju. They bring in MVS. Mika Hardman is still there. Sky Moore was a second-round rookie. What did we learn in preseason week one? There was a lot to take away. The first team offense played 11 snaps that featured Patrick Mahomes, including Juju Smith played all 11 of them. He was moving in the slot and outside, something that he was asking the Steelers to do. And they never really gave him that opportunity to do so. Marquez valdez Scantlings plays nine of 11 snaps. He's the clear out threat. Then it was McCole Hardman, who only played in three wide receiver snaps uh, or three wide receiver sets, excuse me. Sky Moore doesn't get any first-team reps. You actually see Justin Watson get out there for a snap. So right now, Sky Moore is behind McCole Hardman. Of note, Sky Moore came in, got to end around. Some of the stuff that McCole Hardman has been doing, I do wondering. Or I'm, I do wonder if they're going to have similar roles. McCole Hardman's going to start the season as the gadget guy, and then Sky Moore eventually will overcome him because Sky Moore is just quite frankly better than McCole Hardman. But the biggest takeaway, MVS, Juju, nearly full-time players, and I think the thing that you wanted to bring up 
is some of the formations, some of the scheme stuff that we might be seeing from the Chiefs offense might actually play into the strengths of what two wide receiver sets are. Yep. And we've always talked about how important two wide receiver sets are for fantasy production. Felt like the first five or six snaps, but and Nate Tice pointed this out. It was 21 personnel, two running backs. We saw a freaking fullback in Andy Reid's offense, and then a lot of 12 personnel, too, with two tight ends on the field. You know, the Chiefs were ahead of the game in terms of spreading it out with so much speed on the field for years and years and years. In some ways, I think it caught up to them a little bit last year. And by who they brought in and the styles of players that they brought in and how you can't replicate someone like Tyreek Hill, it wouldn't be shocking at all for Andy Reid to get in his old school traditional bag and create some really fun concepts out of these very traditional formations, these traditional personnel groupings. And we already saw this. And, you know, MVS has been pigeonholed as just a vertical receiver, a guy who just runs go routes and nine routes. We didn't see that. Trust me, he will do that, especially on broken plays. But we saw intermediate routes. We saw comeback routes. We saw inside breaking routes. And Patrick Mahomes, while everyone likes to gravitate towards just the insane game-breaking playmaking style that he has on those deep shots. He's also so freaking good inside the structure of the play so often. So again, some more of these traditional sets is some we haven't seen before. And I don't want to read too much into concepts and styles that offenses put out there, but this is a little sample of a very changed well, chiefs offense. I think we should, this is one of those times we should read into it because the offensive line is designed for it. You lose Tyree kill. This is a chance to reset. We talked about the cover two stuff so much. How do you beat that stuff? Get a fullback on the field. And yep. the other thing, and I didn't even write this in my column because I was too scared to write it. It was just the first preseason thing, but a little nugget for you guys. Travis Kelsey was on full-time player. He was a backup on some of these oh. traditional run, run, uh, like run looks with the fullback and stuff because he isn't the, caliber blocker that some of these running uh, specialists are so that has me a little bit concerned with Travis Kelsey I'm, this could be a one game blimp but some of this traditional stuff means good news for CH who we'll get to in a second but also good news for Juju and MVS bad news for McCole Hardman and MVS because they might not have that third wide receiver out there as much as we've seen in the past and if we if it is just a fullback out there and it's play action guess what instead of that slot receiver being open the fullback saying in their pass protect that's much easier for juju and for mvs to earn targets so i think stock up for juju and mvs the other guys are pretty neutral or actually a little bit down on and as you alluded to the offensive line is just outstanding and they are some maulers it's one of the best run blocking groups in the league and so for ceh to have someone to follow in his gaps and his runs that can that can be a big boost for him okay let's talk about this backfield then because it's been a mess all all season in drafts. It's been one to diff that's been difficult to wrap our head around. In fact, I think since preseason camp opened, it's got a bit more clear. Is it as simple as Clyde Edwards Layer one, Isaiah Pacheco two, because he came in, I believe it was a second and ten snap near the goal line. Then Jeff McKinnon came in for a five, you know, second and goal, third and goal from the five yard line, and that was his snap. Yeah, so I think the first seven snaps were all to CH. I think I view that as a good thing. He was out there for the for the third down. He got a goal line look opportunity. Obviously, he didn't convert, but that's too granular. The biggest thing was Isaiah Pacheco was a second to come in. He gets in there, and he has a catch out in the flats where he's able to break tackles, and that's where you see the athleticism that Isaiah Pacheco has. He also has some vision issues, and there's a couple of reps here, but that's reading into the details too much. I think that they want Clyde Edwards-Hilaire not to be a bell cow back, but to kind of be an everything number one. Isaiah Pacheco to be the number two, and then Isaiah or uh, Jarek McKinnon to be the number three. And if you look at last year, 
McKinnon, when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was healthy, he was a core special teamer, and he was the third running back. He got like five to ten snaps per game in this running back three role, and that's what Daryl Williams, the mentor, I think that's going to be the Isaiah Pacheco role this year, and then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, if he's good enough, could handle that role. So I think this is a view for Isaiah Pacheco uh, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Ronald Jones was way buried in the depth chart. I think that the Athletic uh, projects him to miss the 53-man roster. So do I. You can't be drafting Ronald Jones right now. And I think that they're for best ball mania three purposes. Isaiah Pacheco was going largely undrafted for 50% of the tournament. So there's some yeah. game theory reasons why you should attack him specifically in that tournament. I think that they're trying to make CH the number one. And I think CH can actually do it between the tackles. I still think he can do it. And this offensive line is so good. So CH is, I was looking at my rankings. He's like top five in my rankings versus ADP. I'm very high on CEH. I'm kind of making a stand on him. CEH right now going as the 86th overall player, running back 28. Uh, I know his frame might say, hey, he's an air back. He's an in-the-space guy. Some of his best work is kind of like a bowling ball between the tackles. Not going to say he has the most bursts or can break the most tackles, but that's really where his confidence is coming out of LSU. And obviously, he ran a bunch of angle routes and stuff out of there. I butchered it earlier, but let me repeat. Uh, Clyde Rosier Stuffed on a second and one. There was a fullback counter that converted that third and one. Um, then they got to the 10-yard line. Isaiah Pacheco from that first play that you saw was when he got the catch. And then Jarek McKinnon rotated in inside the five-yard line. You know the question or what I'm about to bring up here is none of these backs, that the three that we just talked about, are certified good inside the five-yard line, inside the three-yard line, and goal line situations. This is a Chiefs offense that should be scoring a whole bunch of touchdowns. That's where I kind of tried to slam Ronald Jones into this situation. And now that he's so far, it feels like removed. We've done some drafts recently, despite him having 160 overall ADP. Sometimes he's still out there at like pick 195, almost 200. Um, I don't, I still don't know. And we don't have the answer yet of who is going to be the inside the five yard back. If there is even going to be one and if the rotation CH. was anything. So you're I think you're overthinking it. Could be I think you're McKinnon. overthinking it. I think you're okay. overthinking. No, the Jarek McKinnon stuff. I, my view on why he played that last step is he deserves some first team reps. And it was last, last call for, for Mahomes is going to play a second drive and they just need to throw him in there. I don't Jarek McKinnon's never been a goal line back. He's way too small. He's way too fragile for all that stuff. I think it's going to be quite Someone argue CEHs too. Like yeah. Clyde Edwards Lair's way well, I think here. Andy Reid has argued it's been CEH in the past. Like he got punished after the, and I'm not saying it was his fault during his first game as a rookie, but ever since that week one, he has had 16 carries from inside the 10 yard. And that's missed it. half the season. I mean, he missed half the season, but that's still what 22 games, 16 carries inside the five yard line and 22 games from the best offenses in the league. Like, I'm just throwing the opportunity out there, the, the question out there. It truly might be him, but I really think that Andy Reid and the Chiefs offense pivoted away from him, even though he was there and the opportunity was there for him to do it. So yeah. we're going to find out more, hopefully. Okay, so we cover the Chiefs. And again, just the personnel groupings and the traditionality of everything. Um, maybe this is just where they didn't have a lot of opportunities and, and experience doing that over the last couple of years. So maybe the preseason is an area that they want to stress that a lot and then go more into the wide open personal packages they've had in the past too. Okay. So we go from the chiefs over to the Washington commanders. Oh, Antonio Gibson about six, seven snaps into the preseason. We've heard it since the NFL draft. Um, Antonio Gibson, after six fumbles last year, Ron Rivera, 
wants you to hold on to the football. He doesn't want you to turn over. And again, on his second touch from scrimmage, Antonio Gibson puts the ball in the dirt. What happened after that? I mean, it was even worse than that. Before, he was subbed out on the third downs for J.D. McKissick. So nothing's changed there. Uh, and those were third and four and third and two. Then he fumbles. Then in comes Ryan Robinson, who scores a touchdown the next drive with the first team offense. And then Gibson goes back there, plays on the second team. But then he was subbed out on third and one for Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams is getting subbed in for Antonio Gibson with the second team. And then it gets worse again. Uh, Gibson misses on the third and two. And then in comes Jonathan Williams again. And then Jonathan Williams, of course, converts. So then we go to practice today. And then he's playing punt protector. So Gibson is. Yeah, Antonio Gibson. So it's as bad. It's basically as bad as it gets for Antonio Gibson. I have him currently ranked 111th overall. I moved Brian Robinson up to like the 120s. I think you can make an argument that Brian Robinson should be going ahead of Antonio Gibson. If it's not now, it could be soon. Brian Robinson's not the sexiest runner, but he can fall forward. He's got decent vision, and he's definitely experienced from playing with Alabama. And Antonio Gibson just, he's a home run threat, and everything else has just been kind of a mystery with him. I've been a huge Antonio Gibson fan in the past. I would say maybe the the wide receiver stuff was taken a bit too far with him being a a possible feature back at the NFL level. But for like the 66th overall selection, I think he's been a really solid NFL player. But if any coach is going to bench you for a long period of time based on simple mistakes like putting the ball in the turf, it's Ron Rivera. And it was basically a warning shot throughout the entire offseason of, hey, we're keeping Jaden McKissick. Hey, we are drafting Brian Robinson with really – pretty good draft capital, you're on notice, Antonio Gibson, despite playing decently well through a stress fracture last year, and it happens immediately, and we are seeing what the repercussions are. It was Brian Robinson being shoved there in first-team duty. It was first practice back. Antonio Gibson, you are the first-team punt protector, basically as as a guard, a, a blocker for the punter on special teams. Like That is a strong narrative. Now, did he go through walkthroughs with some of the first-team 100% on other portions? Was he with the third team? Yeah, but this is one of those scenarios where it's chaos in ADP and where Antonio Gibson was going at what running. It was right about where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was going as running back 26 oh, it was, it was before that. Yeah, yeah. It was slightly before about four spots before I'm with you. Like if I had to guess who had more carries this season, I think it's Brian Robinson over Antonio Gibson. Yeah, it's close. I think I would let the dust settle and then start grabbing some Antonio Gibson once his ADP is in the 100s. I think there's game three reasons why you want to be doing that in a best ball mania three. But I think the narrative that Antonio Gibson's starting role is dicey is 100% true. And I like Brian Robinson coming out of school. We had a clip on him versus Zamir White, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. He broke 79 tackles, which is the third most in college football. I thought for a bigger back coming out of Alabama, he actually had some decent wiggle at the line of scrimmage to switch lanes here and find the find the lane and get up the field. Uh, he's not going to be a home run threat. But at the end of the day, this is also going to be a team that is going to get J.D. McKissick involved in many, many scenarios. Wouldn't put it past also Scott Turner, to use Curtis Samuel in some backfield spots as well, because he has that history doing that. So we got a discount all summer on Brian Robinson. Now that's going to be more expensive. And like you said, maybe maybe the action here, unless it's a redraft league, is to take the dip in Antonio Gibson as he keeps dropping, dropping, and dropping. But in like the 100 range. Like yes. nothing before that. Nothing and close you, to where you he You make was. a great point with the Curtis Samuel stuff. Just to, We're going to talk about Jahan Dotson later, but let's just talk about him now. How that offense worked was you had... Terry McLaurin doing Terry McLaurin things. 
Then you had Jahan Dotson as a full-time player, not splitting work, full-time player. Curtis Samuel was the third wide receiver, and they're using a lot of motion. This is a classic Scott Turner thing. That's why we like Scott Turner. They play fast. They use motion. Curtis Samuel, basically every single passing play, is running sideways across the formation yeah, as like motion. the jet sweep guy. Uh, not necessarily great for fantasy purposes. And Jahan Dotson is a winner here. I don't think he's going to leave the field. He's one of the few rookies who, in week one, is starting in two wide receiver sets. And we're going to get some other uh, rookie wide receivers who are nowhere near that. So a big win for Jahan Dotson. Uh, and then Curtis Samuel, I think, just going to be this gadget player. And it is what it is. On Dotson going as wide receiver 65 currently. That's right around that territory of DJ Chark and Romeo Dobbs, KJ Osborne, Jarvis Landry. Makes sense. But if draft capital, as we've heard from so many people out there in the dynasty community, is a great signifier of uh, future success, John Dotson is like the most forgotten first-round pick that I've ever seen in fantasy football heading into a season that he's fully healthy going into. Yeah, and there was like this narrative that he could just be a slot receiver. The commanders are trying to make him not just a slot wide receiver. Okay. Do you want to talk about, let's talk about the Jets now? If you don't mind, let's do it. Um, there's so much to hit on for the New York Jets. We'll start with the passing game. Um, Zach Wilson has a meniscus skim. He's out two to four weeks. Actually watching that game, it felt like it. that's a real positive based on non-contact, putting your foot in the dirt and getting up the field. Uh, in this passing game, what do we see from how the wide receiver looked and the usage? Because we know they spent a second round pick on Elijah Moore. He had a great rookie season without Zach Wilson, really. Um, Corey Davis, big money, Braxton Berrios, new contract this all season. And then Garrett Wilson, a top 15 selection. The first team offense plays nine snaps. Elijah Moore doesn't come off the field. So there it is. That's the big takeaway here. The second biggest takeaway is Corey Davis plays eight of nine. Obviously he's a veteran. We should kind of expect this. Garrett Wilson only plays one of nine. So right now your the depth chart looks like it's Garrett Wilson as the number four Braxton Berrios, who I think I paid like $6 million low end starter money. He was the slot wide receiver in three wide receiver snaps, but this is an offense that's going to use a fullback, going to use two tight ends. This is classic Kyle Shanahan stuff. They're going to play slower pace. The only people that we care about is who's starting in two wide receiver sets right now. Elijah Moore is locked in. There is no if, ands or buts. He's going to be one of them. And I think it's going to be Corey Davis for most of the season. And then post by rookie bump, Garrett Wilson is going to come in there and start competing for, for Corey Davis. But I had to move Garrett Wilson down a little bit. I thought there was some capacity. Maybe they'll move Elijah Moore into the slot and get Garrett Wilson on the perimeter. As of right now, it looks like they paid Braxton Berrios for a reason to me draft Elijah Moore draft Corey Davis. Who's like 180th overall. It's absurd. Nobody's making as much money as Corey Davis going in that range and wait for Garrett Wilson to drop probably a round or two. Garrett Wilson going as wide receiver 54. I think the only snap that he got with Zach Wilson was a slot target, actually, where he had multiple moves and outside breaking route. Zach Wilson sailed him, and bad. the pass was incomplete. So bad, bad throw. But I think part of it was maybe that Garrett Wilson maybe oversold his route, which is something that we talked about, too. Uh, Mike LaFleur really loves Braxton Berrios. Remember, at portions of last year, Mike LaFleur is a very creative play caller, and all the creativity almost funneled through Braxton Berrios. They gave him a contract for a reason, and obviously they didn't know that they were able to get Garrett Wilson in the NFL draft as of yet. But it's not that simple of, hey, two wide receiver sets, as Hayden just pointed out, Elijah Moore versus Garrett Wilson. Let's also talk about, you want to talk about that or you want to talk about running backs? Um, I was just going to bring up, it's $7 million for guaranteed for Braxton Berrios. So, I mean, that's, that's legit money. Okay. And Elijah Moore, quickly, not cheap. Wide receiver 32, 
right around like full, full, full-time starters that we knew about in Darnell Mooney and Amon Ross St. Brown, just ahead of Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper. Are we buying at that price? Um, I moved him up a little bit. Um, the other note I wanted to bring up is I think that Flacco is going to start week one. The meniscus stuff, like the two, two week injury from the meniscus is just like not reasonable. Like that's, yeah. and they, they could go into this and find something else within that. And I think that Zach Wilson in the pocket has been so bad. Zach Wilson getting on the mo- on the move and throwing with velocity is where he shines. Yep. Is he going to be able to do that on a bad meniscus? Like to me, it's, it's as bad as ever. There was a funny, uh, cd carter posted this the, a reporter asked garrett wilson about like what's better or describe the differences between joe flacco and zach wilson and garrett wilson was like his ball is just more catchable i was like damn that's cold but yeah it's joe flacco time well and as you pointed out in our split show elijah moore was far more productive in the smallest sample ever with the white guy mike white and joe flacco versus versus zach wilson and what you just said of zach wilson maybe not thriving in the comfort of the pocket uh and really created so many big plays outside of structure. It's why I bought in for one season well, for one week when they went over to, to London and then he just bombed. He, he failed and teams, you know, defense can keep you in the pocket if they want to. Okay. It's not just wide receivers that we need to talk about for the New York jets. It's also Michael Carter versus Brees Hall and Hayden for a reason. I put Michael Carter at the top over Brees Hall, despite Brees Hall being 42nd in drafts right now and Michael Carter going 148th overall on underdog fans. So Michael Carter drew the start and he played 10 of 20 snaps. And this kind of reminds me of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, where Melvin Gordon was splitting this work basically 50-50, but he would come in first. And that means he just plays a couple more snaps per game. Uh, I think Michael Carter had some of the best runs of the entire weekend. Like the dude just has vision and burst. And I know he's small and I know everyone thinks he's a third down back, but man, could he run between the tackles and Brees Hall is the exact opposite. Brees Hall has athleticism for days. I posted a clip somewhere and it was just showing that he had a hole to run up the middle. This is a third and one. And to me, this is wide open. That's a first down, but instead he busts around and he ends up picking the first down because he's so damn athletic, but it's kind of some of the, some of the stuff that Travis Etienne. Yep. does as well and i think that michael carter is like melvin gordon where he's just he's just sharp man like he can just run between the tackle he knows what he's doing and javante williams kind of the same thing where he's so athletic the broken tackles are all going to be there but there's sometimes there's a reason why they're not getting the full-time workload i think that michael carter is going to be playing like a, a decent amount and i think that's going to take some time for Brees hall you can make the argument that Brees hall is so damn good that it's just going to overcome it eventually but i never thought that Brees hall was this exceptional back people compare him to jonathan taylor I think the people have lost their mind. He's nowhere near that. In my opinion, he's an athletic back, but I think that Michael Carter is going to make some noise and I'm way hard, higher on Michael Carter uh, compared to ADP than Brees Hall. Michael Carter is one of my favorite picks in fantasy football right now. I post the tweet. People laughed at me. I don't care. It is absolutely ludicrous. There's a hundred and six draft slot gap right now between Brees Hall and Michael Carter. And I understand so many of you love are infatuated with rookies and especially some with the receiving profile that Michael, uh, that Brees Hall put out there. Guess what? In everything where people promote backs in short time frames or lessen workloads, a la Rashad Penny, Michael Carter's up there in all of these av- advanced analytics in terms of running between the tackles. Already, despite his size, despite being a great receiving back in college, one of the best runners between the tackles in the league already. 
Um, that third and one is really important to me. Brees Hall, when he was drafted in the second round, Joe Douglas didn't go on stage and say, this guy's going to be our feature back. He said, the reason why we are drafting Brees Hall is because he can have four play drives, five play drives instead of 11 play, 12 play drives. It's for the big plays to get him out in space, is to get him the seam. It's to get him a big lane because back at Iowa State, that's where he was at his best. It wasn't, oh, we plan on giving him 17 touches, 22 touches. Look, that might happen towards the end of the season. But as soon as they drafted Brees Hall, the dynasty community, the fantasy community, which impacts these ADPs, pigeonholed him as someone who's going to be a feature back at point at some point this season. And that is throwing Michael Carter to the wayside. And that's unfair. I, I will make one note that Brees Hall was subbed in for a third and one. So I, I do think that if you if I was going to guess who's going to be the goal line back, it would be Brees Hall. He's bigger than Michael Carter. Um, so, of course, we're, we're ranking Brees Hall ahead of Michael Carter straight up. I just think that the gap, like you said, right. is a little it's 104 spots right now. Let's do it. Running back 48, Michael Carter is, and he's going with pure running back insurance types. We love him, but he's going one spot ahead of Khalil Herbert right now. And Michael Carter could easily lead the Jets in carries for the first three, four, five weeks. And he's great all around. He's just a really talented back. And Brees Hall being drafted just clouded all of that. People want to send Michael Carter to the nether realm. I think they need to get a reality check. Okay. So, should we talk about mm, Titans, Traylon Burks? Let's do it. Let's, let's bring the negativity. Your negativity, Hayden. You know, you posted some clips, sent some slacks, where Traylon Burks, it's been a whirlwind of an offseason. Let's put it that way. Rough start in rookie camp, maybe some rough reports in training camp. It's been tough to know the truth, but now we do know the truth, and it was that Traylon Burks was, at most, running with the second team and most likely with the third team. The Titan starters didn't suit up. Um, Traylon Burks obviously did. Traylon Burks also played until the fourth quarter. Some of the second string offense was getting pulled earlier, and I think that it was Nathan Janke. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name from PFF. He noted that it's like the first time a first round wide receivers played it until the fourth quarter in like the last 10 years. Maybe I think it was DJ Moore is the only person that hasn't done this. They gave Traylon Burks one jet sweep. It went nowhere. I didn't see any explosiveness with that. And I think the big thing from the usage wise, and you're looking at the clips here is Traylon Burks was running a lot of intermediate and deep routes. And I think that's interesting. He also wasn't playing in the slot uh, all that often. He, they were trying to get him out on the outside, running deeper routes. And he just never did that in college. Last uh, last year, he ran only 18% of his routes were lined up on the outside. And I just don't think that he has the same athleticism that people making these A.J. Brown comparisons have. He needs some time to develop here. And I think that's why he was playing into the fourth quarter. Kyle Phillips didn't even play this many snaps, and he was drafted way after, uh, and he went to UCLA. I think that Traylon Burks has a lot of work to do, and I think that he's going to be a better dynasty pick then redraft pick. And I think it was telling that he was playing until the fourth quarter, not like second half, the fourth quarter. And if you're watching this, you can disagree with my takes. He doesn't look nearly as fast as AJ Brown. Some of these other comparisons I saw. So a little bit nervous, go back, listen to Matt Harmon. He has a lot of the same things. I think it's going to be a transition year uh, for Mr. Traylon Burks. It's already been quite a drop down for Traylon Burks in drafts over the last couple of weeks. Now he's going as wide receiver 45. That's in fact, Two spots after Chris Olave, one spot after Sky Moore, but still ahead of Robert Woods and let's say MVS from another team who we already discussed. We'll say I think it's a bit unfair that Traylon Burks had to play with Malik Willis, who was electric in this game with his rushing ability. But 
as we know, Malik Willis, who even showed in this game, wants to throw outside the numbers, and that's about it. Like the middle of the field stuff, just non-existent still. It's a blind spot for Malik Willis, and some might argue he got pulled because he wouldn't pull the trigger on some of those middle yes. of the field throws. Like, not for saying sure. he wasn't he wasn't electric. He was, in fact, like that that play where he skips it and throws it sidearm, underhand almost. It was great. There's stuff to build on, but again, these inside breaking routes where there might be a window. Malik Willis just doesn't t- trust himself. And I, so I think from a production standpoint, you know, Traylon Burks could have had a couple more and there was a vertical route that Malik Willis also, but I'm with you. Like he's now having to do things that he didn't thrive in in college yet was be an X receiver on the outside and win down the field. There was a tiny little sample and some of those plays really shredded the average in those like, there's a play against Alabama where he torched them along the sideline. And so there's stuff to build on, but I don't want to maybe not trail on Burks anymore from where he's already going. Maybe a couple more. Spots. I do a lot. I'm I, not I, I, at all. Yeah, I know. But I also think that this is the style of player post by rookie bump, or as we go along the preseason, there might be more and more usage as, as we go along. Um, but th- this is a, a, a note at the start for a, again, very cloudy offseason for Traylon Burks versus knowing what the truth was and what wasn't and what the reports were accurate. Yeah. Ways to go. We don't have a uh, clip for this, but Eli Mitchell, let's talk about the 49ers here real quick. Um, Eli Mitchell's out for the entire preseason. Uh, that meant your guy, Trey Sermon, drew all 11 snaps with Trey Lance. What were your takeaways for the uh, 49ers offense here? The offensive line so bad. Like, And I don't think this is going away. Uh, Trey Sermon was out there. Jeff Wilson didn't play for... Um, I think it was just personal reasons. I think that he'll be back soon. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, it seems like a somewhat s- severe hamstring injury. So we have to uh, keep an eye out on that. And then Ty Davis price came in after that. Uh, Jamichael Hasey was a third stringer. I'm not expecting him to make the team. I don't know what to do with Jeff Wilson. He's been the number two in practices. He did not suit up here uh, right now. Trey Sermon's ahead of TDP. I thought Trey Sermon uh didn't look like super explosive or anything like that, but I thought that he was running with a little more pace in general, and that's decision-making. Kyle Shanahan thought that he had a good game, but it's impossible to tell this offensive line's bad, and I don't think that's going away. I wasn't as enthused about Trey Sermon's performance as maybe Kyle Shanahan was. was I thought fine. he still hesitated. It was fine. Still liked to bounce it out. Didn't drive it in. Um, I do want to note that Trey Lance's 76-yard touchdown to Danny Gray was one of those 10-plus yards outside the number throws that we talked about all offseason, at least I did, when talking about um, Brandon Ayuk. And it was a really fun setup that Kyle Shannon had even in the preseason because he motioned out the tight end or the fullback to put Danny Gray as a vertical slot player. Boom, against the safety. I mean, just one of those in preseason versus Jimmy Garoppolo only having 25 of those completions again, 10 plus yards and outside the numbers all season long. It's not going to be as concise as precise between the numbers, the season for the 49ers, but the full field is now available. And I think we're going to see many more big plays because of it for San Francisco. Yeah. I think it was a very hit and miss game from Trey Lance. And I think that's going to be expected. He's going to have a bunch of amazing plays and there's going to be a couple plays where he just doesn't have the timing right. And the mechanics are a little off and all that stuff. That's fine. He's going to be totally fine for fantasy. I think. Let's talk about the Seahawks and their backfield as well. Rashad Penny missed this game. So that means Kenneth Walker, who was just about five spots after Brees Hall in the real NFL draft played on early downs with Travis Homer filling in in passing downs and the two minute drill. What else were your takeaways? 
So I, I think the big point here was that Ken Walker was subbed out and that was really disappointing on third downs um, in practices. Pete Carroll's been nothing but positive that Ken Walker can do, do more in pass protection, catch the ball. We have some tape on Ken Walker and he got out to the flats, made a catch, made a guy miss, dragged another defender for a first down. The second big takeaway here is watch this damn tape of Ken Walker and watch how he manipulates defensive tackles in linebackers. He is an impressive, impressive uh, rusher here. I'll pull it up um, in just a second, but it really is just, he can just, he knows how to run. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Just, I'm going to keep pausing this video. If you see a black Jersey, he's going to go the other way. Watch number 95 black Jersey on the right side. And then, Black jersey on the other side, and then Ken Walker goes back inside. And it's just nonstop with this stuff. And if you go back to this video and you kind of pause it through, he just is manipulating defenders and finding zones, cutback lanes, and it's just a very rare ability. This is exactly what he did at Michigan State, and I think he's going to be a very explosive runner. And then what do you know? Rashad Penny is dealing with a groin injury again here. So I thought it was a great debut. The offensive line was not good. He didn't have an 80-yard carry or anything like that. But Ken Walker, I think the preseason tape matched exactly what I was expecting uh, based off his college profile. And you're only hearing more and more from the Seahawks and Pete Carroll about how they can view him a little bit more in passing situations, how he can be a three down player. We just got it from a beat writer today saying that Kenneth Walker is going to play more than the public believes. And this is something that we have been promoting on multiple videos. We have a whole clip on the channel. Hopefully people have checked it out. I understand that Rashad people won people like millions of dollars in their entire fantasy championships. He also came back on a simple one-year contract, and those were his six career starts. That was it to finish last season. He was outstanding. The advanced metrics always point to that. But Kenneth Walker was an elite runner at the college level last season. The way he is able to create space, maximize the yards blocked for him, um, and if his team in practice believes he has more receiving work than what the 19 catches he had throughout his college career. This is a post by rookie bump. This is a player when the starter goes down or the one B goes down and Rashad Penny has a chance to hit 17 touches and you're getting that at running back 35. I'm all the way in and that's mixed and matched with other players that even have three way split backfields. So I think that we are just more in love with Kenneth Walker's individual evaluation. I think that's like the point of almost no return for a lot of people when trying to draft him and seeing them on dra their draft board. He was drafted four spots behind Brees Hall in the NFL draft. Four spots. And it's a 65 ADP difference uh, between the two. And if you want to argue that maybe the Jets offense a little better, Vegas doesn't think so. And they just lost one of their offensive linemen too. And by the way, a lot of the offensive line experts thought the new two rookie tackles for the Seattle Seahawks had a really, really good start to their career. So this is a really good starting point for Kenneth Walker, and I'm excited to see what the remaining two preseason pre games we get from him. Um, and then also just talking about the 49ers backfield, we also have like a, a eight or nine day window after the final preseason game heading into week one where practices are closed to the media. So some crazy things can go on. I call, that the, Trey Sermon. Sermon I call that the Trey Sermon zone. <laughs> the Trey Sermon window. Things can go crazy. Depth charts can change. And, uh, Maybe that'll happen for, for one of these players that we just discussed. Okay, that's the Seattle Seahawks backfield. Uh, Josh Jacobs was a player that everyone moved off immediately after the Hall of Fame game uh, because he was playing. 
and so did Zamir White, so did Kenyon Drake, so did just Amir Abdullah. Uh, did we learn anything, have any more answers from the Raiders backfield after in their preseason week two? Yeah, I owe myself about 50 push-ups for probably overreacting to the Josh Jacobs stuff. Um, it's just classic Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick stuff where everything's just kind of out of control. But Josh Jacobs not playing with the starters is significant to me. Zamir White was out there. Kenyon Drake was the third down back. I think that Zamir White has a little bit of pop. Um, but I do think how this backfield is going to shake up is Josh Jacobs with Kenyon Drake, maybe Brandon Bolden as the third down back. Zamir White will be Josh Jacobs' direct backup. We'll see by the end of the season if Zamir White could uh, leap him. But for, I think for the most part, I think we have this backfield kind of sh shaked out. So Josh Jacobs, like running back dead zone, classic guy playing on two downs, but this offense could be pretty good. And I think that Zamir White deserved to get bumped up just because Josh Jacobs' number one role isn't like locked in. Uh, I think it's he, he he deserves to be well ahead of Zamir White, but it's not like locked in uh, like it was last year. If you're out on Traylon Burks, I'm out on Josh Jacobs, and he's still going as running back 24-70th overall. I think that's way too that's rich. Too early. Yeah, that's too early. I mean, it, it's an absolute mess I think this backfield is going to be. It's going to be very similar to what we've seen from the Patriots of the past where it's Josh Jacobs, it's Zamir White, Kenyon Drake's on the roster. Amir Abdullah, I believe, has been reported as potentially in the passing down role too. And then if someone isn't trusted there, Josh McDaniels brought Brian Bolden with him as a special teamer who's going to be active on every single game day and took away red zone opportunities from both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson last year and is trusted in basically every single environment in this McDaniels offense. And so I just, Zamir White's going to get more expensive as we go along. And I think for good reason, because I think he's shown that he's really silky smooth. He's really talented. But it's not one of these situations where I think a rookie is going to outright win and get 17 touches each and every week. Yeah, I have Josh Jacobs 80th overall, his ADP is 70th. So I think we view this the same. I'll have him at like 120. Okay. Okay. <laughs> More rookies. This is the rookie show. Rashad White, you have this as the headline, is the current running back four for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We love Rashad White coming in to the NFL draft. We fear that the NFL did not. As soon as we went to Tampa Bay, we said, oh yes, fantastic fit. It's been a silent offseason and preseason for Rashad White. Did that continue in preseason week one? This has been the pecking order this entire tr training camp. Uh, Rashad White is still buried on the depth chart. Does not mean that he can't climb it. Giovanni Bernard got the first two drives. He exits with an ankle injury, has not been practicing. We don't know the severity of that. Then Keyshawn Vaughn comes in. Rashad White's kind of playing this third down role. And then Keyshawn Vaughn uh, gets subbed out. And then in comes Rashad White for like the third quarter. Uh, Rashad White did a lot of the things that I would be expecting. They try to get him out. Uh, on the perimeter, uh, he's got nice hands. He's got a lot of bursts, set up a defender, make some bursts and get upfield. Uh, this is the type of stuff that we saw on the profile. That's why we were oh, high yeah. on Rashad White previously. But at the same time, he's still got to get ahead of <laughs> Keyshawn Vaughn, who was actually drafted ahead of Rashad White if you're looking at their draft profiles. So um, I think this is an overall decent performance for Rashad White. I'm hoping by next week or the week after that, that he's locked into the number two uh, back because we're drafting it as if this is locked in. Yeah, this is one of those scenarios that I don't want to overreact to anything uh, because we just need more information. At running back 42, that's right around the 
and ahead of Alexander Madison, Naeem Hines, and Kenny Gainwell. Based on just this alone, I can't get there anymore. But could we see him develop, and maybe when Tom Brady gets back into the backup running back, that is worth that price. Uh, I was laughing and even giggling to myself at the first couple of these snaps where it was swing passes the outside, screen passes to the outside, because as you said, that's exactly where he was at his best at Arizona State. We didn't see the patented spin moves or crazy dance moves that he has in open space, but um, he did what he's good at, man. He has soft hands as a receiver out of the backfield and maybe gets a little chaotic in, in tight spaces, but I just want to see more. And I think he's the type of player that's going to get a whole bunch of run over these next two weeks. Yep. Very excited for it. Okay. We go from the Tampa Bay backfield down to the chargers backfield. Isaiah Spiller also ran as a chargers running back four. I just mentioned that he's being basically neck and neck drafted with Rashad white. Um, again, mixed messages coming out of camp, depending on what day you're reading and who you're reading of, of beat writers. What do you think is the truth at this moment? So the Chargers rest their starters. It's a classic Brandon Staley thing for the preseason. Josh Kelly draws the start. I thought he looked fine. I thought he looked a little more improved than he was last year, a little more burst than usual. Then Larry Roundtree comes in, kind of rotates with Josh Kelly. And then Isaiah Spiller comes in with five minutes, 10 seconds left in the second quarter. Kelly and Spiller kind of rotating. So right now, Isaiah Spiller is the number four. Isaiah Spiller, if you just walk, watch them, is much thicker than Josh Kelly and even Larry Roundtree. Um, and once again, Isaiah Spiller was the youngest player in the draft. I would not be surprised if it takes a little bit of time for him. It's kind of, con- I'm kind of conflicted because I think that Josh Kelly would be better, um, as like Austin Eckler's direct backup, like on passing downs, but then like Isaiah Spiller might be the better bruiser between the two. But if you read the athletic, uh, read ESPN, Josh Kelly has been the number two throughout and he hasn't been drafted at all. So in best ball mini three, if you really want to galaxy brain this thing, I've sprinkled in a little bit of Joshua Kelly in, in our drafts. Um, I'm still expecting Isaiah Spiller to be the number two, but that might be number two in like week seven, something like that. I have nothing to add to that other than, again, where Isaiah Spiller and Rashad White are going ahead of Naeem Hines. Uh, that stinks. I think Naeem Hines, along with Michael Carter, might be the most underrated running back in the league right now for the impact they can make this season. Yeah, I, I would for sure have Michael Carter ahead of them. Not Naeem Hines? I think Naeem Hines, too. I think Naeem That was the genesis of the point I just made. You're hearing Hayden talk about best ball and best ball mania three, underdog fantasy. I know so many of you have your fantasy drafts this month at the end of the month, start of September. The best way to prepare, the best way is to draft on your own, not mock drafts when money isn't involved. It's to go on underdog fantasy. We have a link down below that you can click on. We will match your first deposit. Just use promo code the show. Trust me. It is the best research you could ever have to dominate your home league is to draft on underdog fantasy today. Okay. Damian Pierce time. Let's go. Buddy boy. Talk about a rookie running back who looked legit. Damian Pierce is putting the fantasy football universe on notice. Take it away. This is exactly what his draft profile was. You're like, this is probably going to get chaotic. He could easily be someone we never hear from again. But if you squinted and you watched the tape and you looked at some of the PFF advanced numbers, you saw a very electric rusher. So Damian Pierce does not have top end speed. I don't think he ever will have that. But man, he is hard to tackle. And man, does he get after it in pass protection. And both were on display this last week. Marlon Mack started. Dare Ogunbowale was the third down back on the first drive with the first team offense. Then comes... 
Damian Pierce with the second teamers. Lovey Smith, after the game, had a couple quotes really high on Damian Pierce. And some of the uh, athletic and ESPN reporters are projecting Damian Pierce to win this job early in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if it's week one. I moved Damian Pierce up the ranks. He's exactly what I thought he was on small volume last year. That is WWE blocking right there. You don't see that every day. Uh, Damian Pierce, a great interview. If you want to go find some of that stuff too, I think he's somebody that we should be rooting for. I would not be opposed to making Damian Pierce one of the underdog football show staples. Look at this setup. Boom. Press the line. Get to the outside. Press the outside hole. Force the defensive lineman who's holding the edge to overextend. And then you create this lane all to yourself and you get up the field. Damian Pierce was the weirdest evaluation in the 2022 class. Why? He never had more than 106 carries in a season. He never played more than 23 snaps in a single game. If we can go on what we saw at Florida, which was 39 forced missed tackles on just 100 attempts. If we can go on what we saw in preseason week one for Damian Pierce, that is fireable coaching, which happened in Florida. He like, did get fired. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> A fireball offense just to withhold this from us. That's a spine buster that he puts on the blitzing linebacker out of the New Orleans Saints. So now the question is, we're not the only ones that are going to fall in love with Damian Pierce at this moment. The entire public is as well. So prior to this, Damian Pierce was going around running back 40, 111 overall. Just how much can we move him up? Is it ridiculous to start taking him over the Buffalo pairing who's yeah, going no, as running sure. back 34? Where where should we? Where should the final point? How excited and and confident in our ability with Damian Pierce? Where should we reach to to make sure we get him on our fantasy teams? I have him ranked 99th overall in my updated rankings. So just got him in there to the top 100. Marlon Mack's not going to be threatening him, I don't think. I think Damian Pierce probably best left on your bench. I think he can develop maybe into an RB2. I'm not expecting him to be a total league winner here. Um, but he can get after it in pass protection and he can run through your face at the goal line and we could be cooking. So it's also just fun to watch. Go listen I mean, to him. He's just, he's just the best. He's okay. like Jamal Williams. A few more questions. Cause I think that this truly might be a player that shapes some fantasy drafts out there for the next month. We know that Brees Hall is going way too early. We outlined why should Damian Pierce be the second rookie running no, back off the no, board? no, no, no. Ken, Ken Walker's too damn good. I, I, okay. I have him right. I have him third. I have him ahead of James Cook. James Cook played with the backups. He's in the third down role. Uh, Zach Moss is out there every single day in practice, grinding off, and he's he's still in that mix. That's a three-man backfield. I think that Damian Pierce is going to get volume this year. Okay. He's, other, no, he's no Ken Walker. Okay. Other question. I believe the Texans, maybe other than Chicago Bears, have the lowest win total in the league this se- season. Yeah. How much should we care about a split backfield rookie in Damian Pierce when it's on the Houston Texans. You know, this isn't the New England Patriots. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's why I think that I'm hoping he turns into an RB2 and he's probably not going to be a top 12 guy ever. Um, we'll see. They they did, the offensive line does look a little bit better. Maybe Davis Mills is a little more functional in year two and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, we shouldn't draft him in the sixth round or anything like that, but I think that okay. Damian Pierce, I think the hype is real. Yeah, you can get him in ninth or 10th round. Easy. Good. And he's just electric. I hope we see more and more. He is the type. That was the style of performance that from the first carry, you said to yourself, oh, this guy is special and he can win this job outright if he has two more games like this. Yeah. Great interview too. And like you said, he sticks his nose in there and pass pro. Get out of here, Dan Mullen. What the fuck are you doing? 
Kadarius Tony too. I mean, my God. Trying to rob us of some fun. Okay. Go from Damian Pierce to Alexander Madison. Um, Viking situation. They've brought in some backs over the years. Our boy Kanaean Wangu. Ty Chandler, who had a kickoff return as well. Um, we know it's a new general manager, a new coaching staff. So this role that we've drafted Alexander Madison in, other than Tony Pollard and A.J. Dillon, maybe the best running back insurance in the league, what we learned from preseason week one, that seems safe. Yeah, the Vikings rested a lot of their starters, but Alexander Madison played the first two drives and never got subbed out on any of them, including third downs, the same exact role with the Vikings. And then in comes Kenny Nwongu and Ty Chandler. Both of them might be special teamers, you know, like I think Alexander Madison confirmed like, I, yeah, he's not going to bust off an 80 yard touch on like Dalvin Cook or even like Kenny Nwongu or Ty Chandler. But the dirty work and all that stuff, I, just, I think that Alexander Madison still has it. Okay, one more rookie running back to hit on Ty, uh, Tyler Algier, who actually we'll be drafting tonight with in the Sleeper Bowl. Hopefully you all tune in. We'll have our own version of that draft uh, on Thursday. Just Hayden I's brain and mind melds from behind the scenes. So look out for that here on the channel. Uh, he ran as their running back four as well. CPAT got playing time. Damian Williams got play time. And Kadri Allison got play time too. Damian Kadri Allison got a lot of playing time, you know, like they split basically the entire first half. Then Tyler Algier came in there. I think I never saw with Tyler Algier. I think he's fine. You know, I I don't want to be drafting the current RB4 for the Falcons. Uh, The CPAT usage, I was hoping we got something from it. He was like out there for like the starting snap. And then he like ran it over to the sideline basically after and was unheard of. He just, it's just putting him on ice and bubble wrap. That's it. That's what we need. Okay. George Pickens time. Woo-wee. Let's talk about George Pickens. <sighs> he looks legit, man. So Chase Claypool, great rookie season on the decline since Deontay Johnson got paid. It's tough to know where maybe a rookie in George Pickens is going to play. What we saw from his alignment was an outside wide receiver. So I think we can extrapolate from that, Hayden, that Chase Claypool is going to be more as a big slot player. And George Pickens in three wide receiver sets is the man opposite Deontay Johnson. Yeah, he's a locked in starter. Uh, Every athletic report just gets more crazy than the next. And George Pickens completely translated. I don't know if we have George Pickens ahead of Chase Claypool in two wide receiver sets. But man, I think it's going to happen eventually. He's way he's way better than Chase Claypool. Like I I, I think that I think you can make a case. I'm not going to say it yet, but I think you can make a case that George Pickens is going to end up being better than Deontay Johnson. The dude just moves different. The ball tracking, all that stuff. He was supposed to be this good. It was a torn ACL, but before he tore his ACL, he was already leading uh, an SEC and like a high caliber SEC offense in, in yards per game and touchdowns per game. Uh, and he's got the body type and more importantly, the usage. He's a downfield threat. Like 44% of his targets were way downfield. And he just has great ball tracking skills. And he's just he's just a dog. Like, he's just a total alpha. And I think that we should believe in the hype because I think if his draft capital was 16th overall or something like that, we would be all in on him. And I think that the only reason why he wasn't was some off-the-field stuff and some of that knee, knee injury stuff. But everything in camp has been completely positive. So treat him like he was drafted as a top 20 pick because that's where he would have been. Yeah, I, I wanted to pull this up. This was already some veteran savvy from... George Pickens, again, this is single high coverage, one-on-one on the outside, exactly what you want to see. Look at that little shove off. That's perfect. That's how the best of the best do it. They create that sliver of separation towards the end in the back pylon. Look at that. That's exactly what you want to see. And 
to me, why so often I, I say to myself, man, I know we get two seasons of college football out of these guys. We get two years of tape. But sometimes I just want like one preseason game to see what they look like because some of these players, some of these rookies immediately look like they belong. We talked about Damian Pierce and George Pickens is that version at wide receiver. I mean, this this is unreal stuff that we, <laughs> Did you that see we saw that last from one? Him. Yeah, the last one. It, it was it was the block. Watch the bottom right of the screen. <laughs> That's Stay like so here. vintage. Get out the club and he gives you one of these. The oh, attitude man. is there that we love too. Now we also get Mitch Trubisky, who has been struggling in camp by all accounts. Now, I will say, maybe that just speaks to how good the Steelers' defense might be because he kind of torched them on, on this first outing. It was really apparent to me that not just with Mitch, but also with Kenny Pickett, how much Matt Canada wanted to get his quarterbacks outside the pocket and on the move, the shorter receptions, also tearing them levels of routes too. Um, that is something, obviously, he wasn't able to do with Big Ben the last two years, but now he's able to do it with these mobile and athletic quarterbacks. And that was the thing that we tried to get our point across during the pre-draft stuff is I think people are trying to make Kenny Pickett as if he's like Mac Jones or something like that. He's actually the exact opposite. I think his decision-making could be hit and miss. I think he has enough functional arm strength. I'm not worried about the hand size, but the big thing, and we saw it on uh, in this recent game, bootleg throwing on the pocket that's what we've been reading about in training camp but you see it on full display he's kind of a gamer he's got a little bit more to him that i think a lot of people give him credit for was able to scramble a little bit i think he's good enough and i i know i'm on a ledge here everyone thinks he's the worst quarterback they've ever seen but i thought that kenny pickett was a starter level quarterback prospect and i think that he's going to push mitchell trubisky early in the season i've been dabbling a little bit with kenny pickett in round 18 of these best ball drafts can throw on the run he can scramble a little bit he's accurate and this skill group if george pickens is who we think he is is legit you know so i'm expecting a lot of probably it's still an, a low a dot offense in general but more of this stuff on the run and that's how you can kind of extend drives and uh, pick up some cheap first downs that big ben could not do at all first throw was on the move that second was kind of that catch and release throw to the outside I believe the third actually he went to his first read his second read his third read then back to his second read as well the touchdown was was back on the move it's again matt canada has been hamstrung by ben not wanting to turn his back to the defense not wanting to have pre-snap motion we're going to get so much more of that and the quarterbacks on the move this season did look like pick had little tiny hands oh, you, you can you could see it from the broadcast it was little tiny hands he had yeah if he has to roll in the pocket and throw it like this, as long as it's Chat anywhere, knows. anywhere near George Pickens, it's going to be a touchdown. So I think that's with me. Chat thought he had some little baby tiny hands. Oh, too. stop it. It's I'm the white just, gloves. It looks like Michael Jackson out there. Bills, Isaiah McKenzie, one of your best calls of the summer. You're good for a few every single year. For almost the entire hot months, Jamison Crowder is being drafted way ahead of Isaiah McKenzie, who's going undrafted. Now, because he didn't even play in the Bills' first outing. We know that Isaiah McKenzie's locked into three wide receiver sets. Move him up. I have him like ranked 110th overall. He's not being drafted there yet. Not playing with the starters is all good. Jameson Crowder's out there with the backups, dropping passes. Uh, Jameson Crowder, no money. Uh, that Khalil Shakur can play a little bit, but they did throw him on the outside primarily this last game. But Isaiah McKenzie is going to be out there in three wide receiver sets as a starter, and he's got wheels. So I'm in. When they drafted Khalil Shakur, they outlined him as their number four. So he has to learn all three spots, all three spots. So it's outside receiver, inside receiver, and just kind of be that utility player. Uh, Jameson Crowder better try to catch up, but 
Isaiah McKenzie's going to have to get hurt to lose this job at this point, by all accounts. Uh, shout out us just real quick. We did a wide receiver sleeper show. Oh, my and God. And it was Julio Jones, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, Nico Collins. It was like George Pickens. It was like literally Josh just Palmer. like Josh Palmer. KJ Osborne. Just crushed all of them, except, now, except Kenny Galladay. Except Kenny Galladay, <laughs> who just doesn't even want to play football anymore. No, he's he's done. Okay, we talked about Jahan Dotson. Uh, I didn't watch the Broncos yet. You said Albert O was the Broncos' lone starter to play. Uh, there might be some merit and some underlying information to that. Tell us what it is. Yeah, Russ, Javante, Sutton, Judy, none of the starters played. Alberto was out there, but not only was he out there with the second team, which is already bad news, he wasn't in there on the run looks. Like the first play of the game was two tight ends, a classic run look, and Alberto was not what was not in there. And he was a rotational player with the second team offense. And we have to remember, this coaching staff did not draft Alberto. You know, they drafted Greg Dolchich. And as a quick note here, Greg Dolchich had a hamstring injury. He wasn't even out here. We're talking about like the backups, backups, and Alberto was still out there. So I think this was one of the most underrated things for preseason. I don't know what to make of it. Alberto is young. He is an experience. He's not a locked-in starter, but we've been drafting him as a tight end 13. That's way too early. We'll get to David and Joku in a second, but I think that Alberto's, his ADP has got to drop multiple rounds he saw the athleticism to pop but it was definitely bad news that he was out there i mean anything after tight end 10 is is just disgusting i mean we just talked about albert o as tight end 12 we also need to talk about mike gasicki another lone starter to play uh he did run some receiving routes whereas in practice sometimes he didn't even catch any passes it's pretty clear that this is just going to be an entirely new role in some ways for mike gasicki versus being a slot wide receiver and the Dolphins have not and did not previously leap at the chance to sign him long term. Yeah, Mike Isicki, I think, is somebody to be out on. He started when Tyreek Tua and the, the rest of the guys were not playing. And it was clear to me what they were trying to get with Mike Isicki. They had him in as an inline player. And last year, he did not play many inline snaps. At all. And the classic thing is with this Shanahan offense is that tight end and sometimes the fullback. They call it SIF blocks, and it's called split zone. You'll get all the offensive linemen going one way, and then you'll either have the fullback or the tight end go on the opposite side and seal out that, that last defender. And they had Mike Kosicki do that over and over and over again here. Like practice all over again. It's a scrimmage. And he didn't look that good in it. And the reason yeah. why they line up Mike Kosicki in the slot is because he's such a grown-ass man out there in the red zone from the slot. But this is a new offense, and I don't think he's a great scheme fit here. So we'll see if he's going to play – in these run looks, but man, like to be a fantasy starter, you have to be out there running routes every single snap, basically. And I'm not sure if Mike Kosicki is going to get that. He's being drafted as if that's the case. Yeah, Let, let's give the people some tight end strategy advice for their home leagues or on best ball. Because if you don't get Dallas Goddard as tight end eight, Dawson Knox, our personal favorite, is tight end nine. Zach Ertz, who might be a volume sponge at tight end ten, just basically wait at the position, man. You get Cole Komet as tight eleven, Albert O tight end twelve, Irv Smith who hasn't even practiced. Tight end 13. I like Pat Frymuth at tight end 14, but we just outlined how many other mouths to feed. Mike Kosicki is tight end 15. So like the sweet spot, if you want to delay that multiple, multiple, multiple rounds after Zach Ertz goes, it's the Hunter Henry's, the David and Joku's of the world. It's David and Joku season. Like I got exactly what I was looking for. Unlike those last two, the Browns played nine snaps with the starter, with the redacted quarterback. And David and Joku played all nine of them. And last year when I looked at the tape, I thought he had more blocking skills than I was. I thought going into it. We know that he's a crazy after the catch. 
Last year, he played between 57 and 73% of the snaps in all but two games. That was obviously with Austin Hooper without the bag that David Njoku got this year. If we're looking at a full-time player, an 80, 90% player, David Njoku is going to be the guy. Uh, Anthony Schwartz looks terrible. Uh, David Bell wasn't out there. There's nobody to throw the ball to in this offense. So David Njoku has got the runway. It'll probably be like low end tight end one stuff, but I have him as my tight end 12. And I think he's going to be one of my highest owned players uh, this offseason. Chances, percentage-wise, Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback for the Browns this season. I think reasonable. I think we're going to get the Deshaun Watson news. It'll be 12 percent yeah, yeah, higher. I don't know. I think yeah, I think that Jimmy G's got a great chance to go there. It makes I mean, total sense. Whispers that Jacoby Brissett, even though he was signed when all of this was of mind, uh, is going to be the starter for all 17 games with what happens with the rejected quarterback. Um, I bet Kevin Stefanski, because he knows this is still a window for them to win, would pivot on over to Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm totally this roster is good. You know, really like good. Uh, you can't waste this roster with a backup quarterback. Dude, so. And David and Joku would freaking smash with Jimmy Garoppolo over the middle, the yards after the catch, like on the a screens. crossing route. Woo. He's such a unique player at tight end too. It's all shorter routes or vertical routes, and and that's about it. Okay. Why is Cole Cole Komet? Going forty spots ahead of David Njoku. Ask me. Come on. I'm so out on the Bears' offense. I mean, it didn't look. It felt like Week Seven for Justin Fields all over again. Okay. Um, do you really want to hit on some of these quarterbacks, the Colts, all that type of stuff? Do we really just pivot on over to Tyquan Thornton? Go to Tyquan. Okay. So Tyquan Thornton was really laughed at by a lot of people where he was drafted by the Patriots. Uh, in fact, he was drafted over, I believe, Sky Moore. Um, Again, another player there were hit or miss reports on. What we saw from Tyquan Thornton early in his snaps, shifting close to the line of scrimmage, almost Robert Woods, Cooper Cup-esque, sticking his nose in there as a blocker, which he did at Baylor. And murmurs, rumors, mentions since that first preseason game is that Tyquan Thornton might have already claimed a spot for the Patriots offense immediately. Yeah, I'm... I'm Looking for Nelson Aguilar stuff, it seems like he would put, kind of be the odd man out because the Nelson Aguilar and a little bit of the Jacoby Myers role is kind of what Tyquan Thornton is is threatening at. Tyquan Thornton obviously has got speed for days. He's got separation skills. There's no doubt about that. He was able to dodge press man coverage pretty well this game. Showed a lot of toughness. Uh, obviously makes a guy miss here. Uh, but they got him in the blocking game a lot more than you'd expect for 160 pound or whatever he was. Um, I think Tyquan Thornton can play, played at Baylor, and his yards were actually pretty good at Baylor considering uh, that offense. But I think the big thing is he's going to be playing in the slot and as the vertical threat. And that's where Jacoby Myers is in the, in the slot. And then the vertical threats is basically Nelson Aguilar. So Kendrick Bourne, Tyquan Thornton, Jacoby Myers, I think are going to be battling for for reps here. And I think that Tyquan Thornton showed a lot. Like, I mean, that's a good ass block for 160 pounder and they're motioning them in, you know, like these are condensed formations here, like really getting after you don't really see players with his size have this much toughness. So really caught my eye, big win for, for Tyquan Thornton. Uh, Bill Belichick might've uh, beat the haters with the wide receiver position for the first time in a long time uh, with scouting wide receivers. Truly am nervous by what the Patriots offensive line could be. I think they have some real questions there. Uh, shout out to Nick Rudman, though, who got all the way out on Tyquan Thornton and now is all the way in on Tyquan Thornton. Just the wave of emotions that we ride with Rudman on a 
on a near daily basis with the Patriots. It's if only you people out there could experience that joy. Uh, one note I also have with the Patriots is that JJ Taylor played well ahead of Pierre Strong. Um, I keep mentioning this, and maybe you disagree with James White's retirement. I think more than we have seen since, I don't know, the LeGarrette Blunt days, this is going to be a condensed two person backfield than we've seen historically for a Bill Belichick Patriots team. Yeah, I think the James White role, the third down role, is far from settled. We haven't seen Ty Montgomery play. We don't know what J.J. Taylor could do. Right, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, if, if Ramondre Stevenson subs in for the first third down in the next preseason game, he's going to be a second freaking round pick based off of how Twitter reacts to this stuff. So I think it's completely unsettled. Um, and just draft Damian Harris where he's going. Yeah. Like Damian Harris is about to be an outside the top 100 in, in draft. I think he already is. Yeah, I mean. That was not my intention when I started hyping up Ramondre Stevenson 30 spots ago on uh, on June 6th. Okay, is there anything else we want to say here? Did you want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons offense? Yes. Wondell Robinson being the slot wide receiver one for the Giants. And obviously Daniel Bellinger is the complete forgotten rookie tight end. And he's the undoubted starter for the Giants too. Yeah, Wandale's locked in. Same thing with Bellinger. Um, I think that was kind of as expected. The Marcus Mariota stuff I thought was, was pretty interesting. Um, I thought he looked good. He looks explosive. Same thing with Desmond Ritter. I thought Marcus Mariota was throwing the ball out on time. Drake London exits. It seems like a minor injury, but on that creates separation, despite what all the haters were, were telling me that he can't separate, get some yards after the catch appeal. But I think Marcus Mariota, he is my favorite round 18 pick. If you've drafted Kyle Pitts or Drake London, best one, many three, get Marcus Mariota. A lot of. He's correlated. <laughs> he's unique. And there's upside because he's he's the Konami code quarterback that we have not made any adjustments for. So get overweight on Marcus Mariota. It seems like he's well ahead of Desmond Ritter, who I thought was decent. But Desmond Ritter still has a couple inaccurate throws, and that was just on his tape. Uh, he can go, go from one to two to three. He can scramble. So I think Desmond Ritter is a fine third-round pick for the Falcons. I just think that Marcus Mariota is a little more polished, and his accuracy is just better overall. I think it was a pretty solid performance for nearly every rookie quarterback, including Sam Howell, other than like Matt Corral. Um, yeah. And that was it. We already talked about Lake Willis and everything like that. Electric player. Just fine tune it a little bit and find the middle of the field. That can't be a, a valley. I will say he the, the flash plays. I'm with everybody. Twitter was awesome. Very excited for it. There's a reason variable benched him. Just go watch. If you can get some old 22, watch him. There's a lot of missed throws. Okay. Alec Pierce also ran with the starting three wide receiver sets. And it feels like almost just a matter of time before he takes over Paris Campbell and two wide receiver sets. Yeah. Every single week, there'll be one or two rookies that pop on tape, break off a long touchdown and move up three rounds. If next week it's Alec Pierce, I'm not going to be surprised. Okay. That's going to do it for us. What a show. 300 people here. Thank you for sticking with us for 70 plus minutes on just a random Tuesday. Uh, we'll actually be back here for a show tomorrow. I believe at three 30 Eastern. I think we're going to go live with Charles Robinson. I mean, just a behind the scenes, pull the curtain, look through the keyholes of, I don't know, what half the league is doing in their front office, um, how they're looking at their rosters, some things where Charles Robinson's had his ear to the ground while all these training camps. I can't wait to get a behind the scenes look with the Yahoo man himself. He, he's going to like break this to Sean Watson news live on our show. Like there, I'm not that there's a chance. There's a, some simulation that at, at 3.30 tomorrow, Charles Robinson, who's been killer on the deshaun watson news coverage stuff breaks it so tune in we'll ask about it tell your friends about this channel too if you enjoy it share it 
to the other people. We're trying to grow. Hopefully we get to 20,000 subs before week one. That would be beyond amazing. And look, it's preseason for me, for me too. I stumble over my words. I don't have everything ready that Hayden wants me to with these clips and all this stuff. So thanks for bearing with me on this first go round of stats versus film. All right, everyone enjoy sleeper bowl. Check out our version when we post it here on Thursday up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.